In short, I take upon myself the thankless role of devil's advocate, challenging the one-sided view of the victor who has always had the tendency to see himself as the sole protector of righteousness. Quoting the Romans once again, the slogan Ve Victis points to this fact. From time immemorial, the victor has had the power to justify any means by which his end is achieved. Listening to the vanquished's voice half a century after the event is the hallmark of the victor's honesty and integrity. It is the balm of healing for the vanquished's wounds. Names of actual historical figures have not been changed. But in those cases where individuals whom I mention are still alive, or their family will suffer loss of privacy, I have changed their names. Winnipeg, 1999. Alex Domokush. Part 1. Years of Terror The Price of Freedom A sparrow lost in winter's night is tempted by our window's light. She flutters at the window pane. Her struggles futile, so in vain. I open now the window wide, inviting her to come inside. Her instinct fears captivity and she declines security. Next morning, neath the window frame, she lies there frozen, free from pain. She never knew a compromise, and freedom asks a sacrifice. Alexander Domokush Chapter 1 Budapest, Hungary, 1951 our route leads us over the Danube River on the recently restored Margaret Bridge, walking towards the right bank of the river and the hills of Buda. On the left bank of the river lies the district of the city known as Pest, which combined with Buda in 1873 to form what we now know as Budapest. Crowning the left bank of the river and dominating the city, the silhouette of the war-ravaged palace fort looks surreal. A stage set from some tragic play. A bluish veil of mist softens the contours of the ruins left behind by the tempest that devastated Europe only a few years ago. We are desensitized to ruins now. Our life is in ruins, and the past is buried beneath them. Now an equally frightening future lies ahead of us. Although we walk in silence, I burn with a desire to shout, to cry, to howl, to let my feelings explode. The world around us is saturated with agony, overcome with misery. The victors live on another continent, on the other side of the globe, and they are tired of the vanquished's lamentations. The war has hardened their hearts, and it has dried up our tears. My mind is drawn back to the horror of the interrogation chamber of Hungary's secret police. It's hard to believe that the nightmare happened only four months ago. It wasn't only the physical pain of torture, but also the inner emotion, the quivering fear associated with it that was so hard to bear. Relentless accusations were hurled at me. Torture was used to force meaningless admissions. It's impossible to forget that sickening, hollow feeling of helplessness. In my agony, I groaned and cursed under the blows, 
but I never cried aloud or begged for mercy. Silence was my revenge. To beg for mercy was futile, for those with the power to stop the pain were beyond the soundproof walls of the cell. After a while, oblivion set in. Blessed indifference. It had been easy to be brave on a battlefield. Under the watchful eyes of my men, I performed the obligatory role of hero. But in the solitude of prison, only my self-esteem or vanity, if you like, kept me faithful to my principles. I faced the physical torture in that interrogation cell alone. But now I'm no longer alone. I face the uncertain future with my wife, and this obligation is a mental anguish that is the most painful. As we stop to catch our breath, I reflect on this recently restored bridge. During the war,